Very good morning to you all. And grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We are going to look at today Ephesians chapter 5. You should already be there. And this would be verses 18, 18 to 21 today. Let's read the text. Hear the word of God. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ." Very early on in our marriage, myself and Gloria attended a church in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. We're going back somewhere in the area of 18 to 20 years. And you could say that this was an ultra-charismatic church. Now, I had invited someone to a church service. I got to speak to a young man, and we got into various things, and the topic of religion came up. Yeah, I want to get back into church was kind of his sentiment. I said, why don't you come Come down to my church. And I gave him the address. And lo and behold, that Sunday he came. Well, he came late. And this worship service started out with a bang. A couple of songs in already. And this was not uncharacteristic. I kid you not. Gloria could attest. There were people on the floor slain in the spirit. There were people prophesying uncontrollably. And this was kind of a normal occurrence, but this day more so than others. So he's in the back, I happen to see him, and I bring him up, come on down, sit with me, and kid you not, he steps over a couple of bodies, come on in, I'm glad you can make it. (laughs) Well, you know, it's very interesting. Now looking at it from his perspective, and I look back now, what would a rational person think? Someone coming into a church and and seeing this, what would exactly they think? Well, they might think that these people look like they're drunk. These people must be under the influence of something, some mind-altering substance or something like that. What exactly was going on? I don't fully know, but being more mature in the faith, being a bit more theologically astute, several things could have been happening. This could have been just simply the power of suggestion. It could have been an over-emotional experience from over-emotional people uh, just releasing something. It could have also been a deceptive spirit. It could be operating in a spiritual realm. But what I do know is this was not, at least in my estimation, not the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And many of you come out of these environments. How many of you could relate to what I just told you, that sort of environment. You come out of these environments, and you know what has happened to many people who come out of these environments? They kind of put the brakes on to anything Holy Spirit-oriented. They kind of are very cautious, and that's good. When it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, proceed with caution. When it comes to the Scriptures, you must examine everything. But because of these situations, many have just closed themselves out to any sort of experience with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Christian will have an experience with the Holy Spirit. And when you hear this word, be filled, this phrase with the Holy Spirit, 
This will result in something. This will result in manifestation. Not like that situation that many came out of and that I told you about, but it will be rather different. Now, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit will point us to truth. He is the Spirit of truth, and He points us to truth. He conforms us to the image of God. Now, in order to walk worthy of your calling, Christian, in order to walk in love, as we read this morning, in order to walk as light, you need the help of the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit individually and as we come together to make up the church. To exhibit these qualities which we are about to read about, and to exhibit the Holy Spirit's ministry with any level of consistency, you need to be filled with the Spirit. We must be filled with the Spirit continually, regularly, so we may function in the Spirit of God. Now, let's look at verse 18. We will review a lot of what we saw last time. We'll look at the command to be filled with the Spirit. We'll look at the process on how to be filled. And today we look at 19 to 21, the effects. There are manifestations and effects of being filled with the Spirit. Verse 18, the command. It's a twofold command. Be not drunk with wine. It is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, in typical fashion of what we've seen in the latter part of chapter 4, Paul will write under the influence of the Holy Spirit, now in this new life, no longer that, not that, but this. Be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be not intoxicated. Be not having your emotional, mental, spiritual capacities impaired due to the influence of alcohol or anything else for that matter, which we'll see. But contrast, you are not to be filled under the control, under the influence of wine, but be filled and consequently under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Be not drunk with wine, it is dissipation. Now the ESV would render that debauchery. And maybe that's a little more familiar to you. What is it? To scatter your attention. Wasteful, riotous living. It is foolishness. Irregular course of life for the pursuit of pleasure. It is not wise. It is foolish. And can easily set a Christian, one who has the Holy Spirit, off their path indulging in certain vices and indulging in the dissipation of life. We saw that with Solomon. He was a good example. And dissipation was very common in pagan culture at that time, even in Peter's epistle, and it's common for us in our pagan culture as well. Some of the things that categorize as dissipation are uh, sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, abominable idolatries and drinking parties. These are excesses of dissipation, Peter would write in 1 Peter 4, 3-4. But contextually here today, I realize that wine may not be an issue for the vast majority of you, God. Uh, thank God, and it should not be. You might not be str- struggling with excessive drinking, but understand something. And you may not be under the influence of any sort of pagan worship services. Okay? I hope not. And you're not. Under the worshiping the goddess Diana or Bacchus, Dionysus, the god of wine. That's not 
where you're at today. But wine is representative of anything that sways you under its influence, that distracts you and causes you not to walk wisely in these evil days. Now, the concern that verse 18 in the text brings up certainly is it is possible for someone who has the Holy Spirit, a Christian, to be under the influence of something other than God's Spirit. It is possible. Consider what we deal with. We have the Holy Spirit and we're out in the spirit of this age, the spirit of this world. We looked at the, the, the struggle that we each and every one of us have of being light in a dark world. And also we see early on in chapter 4 that the fruits of the old self. We contend with the old self as well. So these are things that come in and impede our walk. That's why we need to be filled. But what exactly does this mean to be filled? What does it mean? Well, we'll get into it a little bit. Very quick definition is when the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, the power of God, is controlling your life. You're under the influence of God in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions, you're laying aside some emotions, some thoughts that do not conform themselves to Scripture. The Holy Spirit continues to increase His influence in your life. And what happens is you start yielding. You start yielding. This is a supernatural work of God. We maintain several things. Now, we must be filled with the Spirit continually. As we spoke about, we do not lose the Holy Spirit, but we can, what feels like, we can become depleted. I was talking to a brother yesterday in the men's group, and he hasn't been here in about two weeks. He was sick, and we got to talking, and he told me how, how he needed to be filled, how depleted he felt, and I totally related to that. I totally understood what he meant. Now, theologically, we're not really going to get into the theological implications, but just in everyday life. I think D.L. Moody and the others, whoever quoted this phrase, is, we leak. I think there's some truth to that. I really do. Uh, it's a metaphor is to say we often leak. That's why we need to be filled. It's kind of like, for me, a nail in a tire, like a slow leak. I don't ever feel punctured. I always feel like this leak is slow. It's like a slow leak. And it's very important that, you know, one of the, we, we be on guard for what depletes you. What causes you to leak? You know, one of the nails, if you will, that can get into the tire is our own sin. It can deplete us as well. It can diminish the fullness of God in our life. And needless to say, there's a lot of distractions that cause us to be distracted. Now, we need this filling daily. So the effects of being filled, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but it will lead to godliness. And being filled with the Spirit is not divorced from experience. It's not divorced from a manifestation of God's Spirit upon your life. It leads us to our second point, the process. What is the process? 
How does this actually work? Well, the first thing we must understand, in order to be filled with the Spirit, you must what? You must have the Holy Spirit. You received the Holy Spirit when you were converted. Now, what does that mean, converted? Into this church, when you were saved. When you were born again. When you were saved from what? What were you saved from? You were saved from the wrath of God. The result. The wage of sin is death. You were saved from that. And I see something in Titus, one of the scriptures that speaks about salvation. Now, he saved us, meaning Yahweh. Father, Son, Spirit. We see salvation in the first chapter of Ephesians with the three, the triune Godhead. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness, but how? According to His mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, verse 6, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So you must have the Holy Spirit. And if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to God. Romans 8 9. Now, I want to look at a scripture in John that speaks about the new birth. John 1.12 should be familiar. When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, you get the Holy Spirit, and He is the seal. He you are sealed with the Spirit. We looked at that in Ephesians chapter 1, 13 to 14. First John, I'm sorry, John chapter 1. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. So what happens to get the Holy Spirit? You go from a child of wrath to a child of God, and you receive the Spirit of God. Many people often think that we're all God's children. The Bible does not teach that. It's only those who have come to the, the, the repentance and the, the conversion of Jesus Christ, the new birth, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and you become a child of God and receive the Holy Spirit when that happens. So, that is to be born of the Spirit. So the new birth is to be born of the Spirit. Do you understand that? Do you get that? Not by works of righteousness, not by anything we do, but God. God, Father, Son, Spirit saves you. Now, you were born of the Spirit. Before you were born of the Spirit, all of mankind is born of what? Born of the flesh. Before you're in Christ, what are you in? You're in Adam. So it's very important that when you came, you understand this today, you come out of your mother's womb dead on arrival. The psalmist David, Psalm 51.5 said, In sin my mother conceived me. There is a physical birth that we all had. This is very important that we understand this. And I'm sure many of you do, but maybe someone does it. There's a physical birth. That is when we come out, we are born. In sin and transgression, we are in Adam. But those who have the new birth, born of the Spirit, now are in Christ. And the old deeds that resembled the old way, Adam, start to now get replaced by the new Adam. The last Adam. The perfect Adam. 
Jesus Christ. So, we have the Holy Spirit when we are saved. But subsequently to salvation, we need the filling. And what happens is, we will exhibit the evidences and characteristics of Christ by the Spirit. The Spirit causes change. Do you know that? Amen to that? It was spoken this morning. You're not where you may want to be, but you're not who you used to be. I say amen to that. And the Spirit causes experience, growth, conformity to Scripture. The Spirit guides you into truth. In my estimation, that worship service when we were first in Bay Ridge was not being guided into truth. The Holy Spirit will guide you into truth. Now, it's beyond your power to live the Christian life in conformity to the Word of God by just trying to muster up some willpower, some self-determination. And that's all well and good, but you can't do it. It needs to happen by a work of the Spirit. Now, understand there will be evidence of the Holy Spirit. There will be manifestations and experience. It's not a bad word. There are typically, there will be seven at minimum that you will see over time. And we'll look at that in a little while. But just as salvation is a supernatural work, you do your part with this filling, but that also is a supernatural work. It is God who works in you from the beginning of your salvation, during your salvation, till He takes you home. Don't miss that. Now let's examine... What the filling, the concept first mentioned. Fill, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's examine this filling. We see early on in Exodus. Exodus chapter 31, 1 to 3. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Verse 3, I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship. So, we see, for works of service, there's wisdom there, but for works of service, very common why God gives the filling of the Holy Spirit. We see that in the book of Acts. In chapter 1, they're praying in the upper room. Chapter 2, a filling comes upon them. And thus the Holy Spirit outpours, brings an outpour. Now, the filling of the Spirit has purpose to empower individuals to live the Christian life and to serve the Lord. Works of service, definitely. So let's look at the command and the process. We see a command. It's a command, be filled. So what are you supposed to do? Well, we looked at a couple of things last time. And we looked at now... The inside-out process. And we have discussed an inside-out process with something we do and then the manifestation of the Holy Spirit happens. So let's look. A parallel scripture in Colossians 3.16. What are we to do? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. With one another, admonishing one another, with wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another, with psalms, 
hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness to God in your hearts. This is a parallel text from Colossians to our text today. Letting the word of Christ dwell in you. Number one, we looked at this. But before it can dwell in you, you must pick it up and you must read it. That's something that we must do. So, it's as if we are communing with God and consuming the word. Now, we looked at this illustration of a wine glass. If you pour wine into a glass and you drink it, I'm not advocating this, but whatever it is, you see, look at someone. You pour it again and you drink it and you pour another one and you drink it and you pour another one. You will be under the influence of that substance. The same is true with the word of God. You must consume it. You must drink it in. You must marinate in it. You must soak in it. And the second thing we ought to do is to be obedient. Obedience. We maintain this. This is the inside-out processes we are speaking about. Obedience to the Word of God is a surrender to your will, inevitably. It's acknowledging God's will in a situation, which is correct, and it's denouncing our selfish pursuits. It's not just about, we had this conversation yesterday, in a pursuit of holiness, in a pursuit of the Christian life, it's not just about saying no. I can't do this. I, I can't do that. No, I can't do this. It's not about saying no necessarily. You're saying no by saying yes to what God provides for us. Another thing that had come up, number three, how do we, what do we do? Be filled. What's on us? Confession. Confess your sins daily. Confess to God when you miss the mark. And repentance, turning away. Another thing, number four, what else can we do? Avoidance. Avoidance. Avoiding things that would drain you. Avoiding nails in that tire. Avoiding things that would deplete you. It's like preventative maintenance. If you knew that there were a patch of nails on Wood Avenue, and you got wind, someone called you before you got to church, and there were nails all over Wood Avenue. Would you continually drive down Wood Avenue? Or would you maybe take another side street and maybe park the car there and walk over? That's how we have to be. We have to avoid these patches of nails, these things that deplete us. And number five is prayer. Prayer. When we're in prayer, we're communing with God. And just as Paul prayed in chapter 3, to be filled with the fullness of God so we can do the same. You see, the process of filling comes when we diminish in selfishness, when we yield and we are empowered. Not just saying no to the flesh, but yes to the Spirit. It's a matter of surrender. And the principle that really resonates with me is stated by John the Baptist in John 3.30. He must increase, meaning Christ, and meaning the Spirit in me. He must increase, and I must decrease. But being filled with the Spirit is having that living consciousness of the Word of God, the will of God. Now, the process of being filled, I'm going to give you a quote by John MacArthur, and I do agree with him on this. The filling is the work of the Spirit, but He works only through our Willing submission. Now the Spirit of God works in you regardless of your willing submission for the most part as well. We see that in 2 Corinthians 3.18. 
Spirit is conforming us and changing us. But in this process of filling, we must be yielded. We must allow God to guide us and lead us. And this is a supernatural work. And just as we are contrasted with being not drunk under the influence of wine or anything else, worry, anything else, food, anything else, when that is your primary objective, when you are dominated by that, no, be dominated by the Spirit of God. Which takes us to our third point and primary focus today, the effects. What are the effects of being filled with the Spirit? There are effects. So, what is it like to be under the influence of the Spirit when you're functioning in the Spirit? We go back to the book of Acts. And what happened? What happened when they were first filled? Now, the book of Acts may be more descriptive than prescriptive for today. Okay, that may be the case. But what happened? Well, let's look at a couple of examples. Going back to the filling of the Spirit, enabling for service and boldness. Let's consider Acts 2, 1 and 4. Boldness to speak the Word of God. Acts 4, 8 to 12. Boldness in preaching. Acts 7, 55. Stephen. Boldness in the midst of persecution. And steadfastness, even while he's being stoned. That came by a filling of the Spirit. Acts 13, 9 and 10. Paul had boldness to confront his enemies, the enemies of the gospel. And in addition, something else came in Acts, which is available to us today, for us today, joy. Joy. Acts 13, 52. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So the filling comes so we may live the Christian life, but the filling also comes that we may be the church. It enables us to be the church. Now, how do we gauge? How do you gauge if you are filled with the Spirit? Well, it is not mystical, folks. It is behavioral. You will see the evidences and manifestation when you're filled. What are the effects of being filled? I'm going to turn. You can turn with me if you like to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 22, and you'll keep a thumb in Galatians 5, and we'll compare what it's like to be filled with the Spirit, to know you're operating in the filling, in the power of the Spirit, and know you're not. The Holy Spirit produces something. This is not mystical. This is not we go in the corner and we meditate and see what happens. The Holy Spirit produces something. What does He produce? Fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. To exhibit these qualities of the Spirit consistently and function, there needs to be the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now we juxtapose that with the flesh. What does the flesh produce? The works of the flesh are evident. How do you know if you're filled or not? Well... What is of the flesh? Sexual immorality, I'm reading from the ESV. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. Not a work of the Spirit. Envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. And I warn you, before Paul writes 
that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So now in verse 19, we see the individual qualities. And how do you gauge if you're filled with the Spirit? You will see the fruit of the Spirit manifesting. We're going to see some other ways in our text. But one of the applications that we can make now, when we get to 19 to 21, is true worship as opposed to false worship. Many of these people were coming out of pagan, idolatrous worship services. If you recall, we covered that. We'll speak a little bit about that. This is what many were coming out of. And in Ephesus, this is what was all around. And Paul, under the power of the Holy Spirit, saying, no, 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 that's not the worship service. True spiritual worship. Let's, and what was going on? Frenzies, out of control uh, situations. You know, Albert Barnes said it well, and I do agree with him, that it was not impossible, looking at chapter 5, verses 18 to 21, is an allusion to the orgies of Bacchus, or the festival celebrating in honor of that heathen god. He was the god of wine. So their worship services, they're not going to the neighborhood bar, folks. This is their worship services fueled by wine. And during those festivals, men and women regarded it as an acceptable act to worship and become intoxicated and, with wild songs, cries to run out in the street and fields in the vineyards. The apostle now will contrast the, this way, this false worship, as opposed to psalms, now hymns, and spiritual songs, which is more appropriate. These are more appropriate modes of spirit, true, genuine, holy spirit worship and devotion. So let's look at this. Understand a filling of the Spirit. You will not be out of control, but will have self-control. And the application stands between the old and the new. Now let's look at some of the evidences here. The outworkings of a Spirit-filled church. A Spirit-filled church collectively. Individually we looked at it. Now we look at it collectively. A Spirit-filled church. We see evidence now in verses 19 to 21. We're going to see five participles, but I want to simplify this in saying singing, praise to God, thanksgiving to God, and submitting to one another in fear of God. Singing, praise to God, thanksgiving to God, and submitting one another out of fear in God. Let's look at these these effects. Now, in verse 19, speaking or addressing who? Yourself, one another. So now we have a one another situation here where the Spirit of God is going to be active in a worship service. Okay. Verse 21, be subject to one another. Submit to one another. But let's look at verse 19 first. Speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, exhorting one another during the worship. So there'd be an aspect of the Spirit enabling the power to be the church, and we are conducting ourselves in true Spirit-filled worship. Our singing and our speaking to one another has clearly horizontal and vertical implications. That's why it's important that we be here each Sunday. Be here on a Wednesday when you can make it. For those watching on the live stream, 
It's important that when you can get here, you get here, because that's part of the process of the church being the church. But, so the singing clearly has, and speaking, horizontal and vertical dimensions. A quote from the Reformation Study Bible. Worship is offered to God alone. At the same time in corporate worship, there is a human audience as well as people worshiping together and address each other for their own mutual benefit. So we sing to God, we do not praise one another, but as an overflow, our praise affects one another and as a component has a ministering effect. And we encourage each other through the singing. We also should be instructing each other through the singing, through the praise, even after the worship service here. Now another scriptural implication we understand about this edifying effect Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Be at the worship service if you can. Okay. Speaking here is the public verbalization and admonishment of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. This could simply mean reading the scripture passage before service. Opening up with a psalm and as we sing and exhorting one another, this is corporate. But consider when it comes to psalms. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and will guide you into all truth. The psalms are the truth. This is what a true worship service should consist of. The reading of the psalms. Now hymns, rich in theological content, reflective of truth, should be reflective of truth. And the Psalms is your songbook. Now, when we say this here, speaking, let's just go with the Psalms for a minute. Speaking to one another, addressing one another, John Stott gives us a good example. Really, it's the Holy Spirit who gives the example, but Stott brings it out. Psalm 95. In the singing which we should turn to one another, O come, let us sing to the Lord, let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Here is fellowship and worship, worship, a reciprocal invitation for us to praise. So, we have the Psalms, the truth. Hymns, which we are reflecting on rich theological content that glorify God. And these spiritual songs can be a reflection upon our life in Christ. What the Lord has done, His amazing work. It could be like Jeremy Camp can be considered, in my opinion, someone who sings spiritual songs. You could sing spiritual songs of spontaneous praise. And we also see here making melody to the Lord with your heart. This is something when the filling of the Spirit comes, there's an eternal dialogue that's going on in you. There's an eternal reality of making melody unto the Lord. This is something beautiful. Because God has put a new song in your mouth. Psalm 43. A song of praise to your God. What is the inner dialogue of the heart? How do you gauge this? What's going on inside you? Is it a song unto the Lord? Now, listen, in this fallen frame, it won't always be that way. I understand. You see, I have songs in my heart, and you have songs as well, that are not really melody to the Lord. And if you know anything about music, they're rather dissonant. 
But when we're filled with the Spirit, we will have the inner dialogue of the melody. Now, and the other songs and the other voices, if you will, can drown out the song of the Lord. The Christian faith, brethren, is a singing faith. It's a singing faith. Even if you can't sing, sing. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing about what He's done for you. Sing the songs of redemption. Sing the songs of deliverance. Sing the songs of gratitude. Like the Israelites in Exodus chapter 15. Redemption songs reflecting upon God's mighty work when God delivered them. Christian, how did God deliver you? Do you remember back that far? Think about what was going on and sing unto the Lord. Sing unto the Lord. The songs of the redeemed. You know, there's been many a story of a rock and roll singer and the pop singer who would get on the stage and needed that little lift to have them sing. For Frank Sinatra, it might have been a, a, a whiskey. And for the rock and rollers, it could be something else. And they would take that and be under an influence and that would allow them to sing. Brethren, you don't need that. You've been redeemed. You've been born again by the blood of the Lamb. You have true motivation to sing these songs of deliverance. Knowing who God is and knowing what He's done for you. So we see when the second characteristic, we will be a singing people, a praising people, we'll also have gratitude. Now anybody can have gratitude, but to be filled with the Spirit consistently in this worship service and beyond, you will be a person of gratitude. Verse 20, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Now, much singing in corporate worship will incorporate gratitude. And even singing the song, the melody in your heart, that internal dialogue, when the ministry of the Holy Spirit is working, you will have gratitude as well. Instead of grumbling and complainings and dissensions, that's not of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean you're happy all the time, but you learn to differentiate. Consider Paul and Silas in Acts 16. These are people with gratitude who will sing after being arrested for the cause of Christ. After having their feet in shackles and they're under arrest, what do they do in prison? They sing. They sing. Maybe not because of their imprisonment, but in spite of that. You're not going to be able to do that I can't do that unless there's the filling of the Spirit, unless we are under the influence of not worry, but of the Holy Spirit. That's a work of God. That's what I want. So praising God in spite of situations, that's an attribute, a characteristic of gratitude. Again, knowing what He's done, knowing who you are in Christ, in the midst of tragedies we see on a regular basis, in the midst of the darkness of this world, that nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Praise the Lord. Knowing who Christ is, knowing who you are, knowing your destiny, knowing that you have eternal life. Amen. Amen. And we see that application, we have to stop sometimes. 
in the busyness and the craziness of this world, just stop and put the pause button on and be grateful. And just process in the power of the Holy Spirit by the Word of God. What's really happening here? Who am I? What happened 20 years ago? What happened 10 years ago when I received eternal life? The God of the universe has called me. I am in him. The righteous win in the end. The prosperity of the wicked shall cease. It's the meek who shall inherit the earth. And we will see him face to face. Now I know this is not easy. It's easy for me to say this to you, but scriptures teach this. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, this can become a more consistent reality in your life. So, we see always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Now, both the Father and the Son should be recipients of our gratitude, and the Spirit will bring us into truth, Correct theological truth and the Spirit always brings us to Christ and not to glorify Himself. Now the ESV would render this verse like this. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks in in itself is also a form of praise and worship. In spirit and in truth. That comes by the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. Understand something. It's not necessarily about being grateful or having sincerity. There are many people that are going to worship today with their hands up and there could be tears rolling down their eyes. They are not worshiping God in spirit and truth. The Holy Spirit brings you into truth. Now, very important as we see The final effect, at least in the corporate setting here, is verse 21. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Reverence for God in the power of the Spirit will cause you to submit to one another. Will cause you to be humble. In and of yourself, that may not happen. You see, the flesh does not cause that. You will have dissensions. You will have rivalries. But the Spirit-filled church is one of unity. In chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, we looked at maintaining Christian unity. And that comes from humility. That comes from a work of God. This is key. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, a sign of maturity. Back then, when I was in that church with glory, I wasn't mature in the faith. But now, we see a manner of maturity and unity. Ephesians 4, 2, 3. To walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which you've been called. First one. With all humility, gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The unity of the Spirit will need to be maintained by your obedience and your yielding in the power of God by the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Spirit, brethren, you will not be divisive. You will not be debating about endless genealogies. You will not be raising contentions. How do you gauge? 
Is this some mystical idea that Pentecostals have about being filled in the Spirit? No. If you're a dis, uh, uh, in dissension all the time, if you're grumbling and complaining with other brethren, thank God it doesn't happen here, you can gauge that by the gas tank of being filled. You're not filled. You're close to empty, if not empty. And when you're filled with the Spirit, brethren, under the influence of the power of the Spirit, it's not going to always be about you. You're going to start to look at the big picture. You're going to start to look at the body of Christ and submit. This is important for us to understand. Out of reverence for Christ, in chapter 5 we opened up with, Consider opening up with this admonition. Be imitators of God by expressing self-sacrificial love of Christ, a reverence for Christ. Brethren, I can't do that consistently. You can't do that consistently. You can be good at it. You could fake it a little bit. But being under the influence and the authority of the Word of God, that'll start to grow. That'll start to become more of a reality. The self-sacrificial love of Christ. That is a work of the Spirit. Now, a theme we will see in the next coming verses from chapter 522 to 69, and it's an important pr- principle. Out of reverence for Christ. I use the phrase, as unto the Lord. Husbands, you're going to be a husband as unto the Lord. Wife, you're going to be a wife as unto the Lord. Parents, you're going to be a parent as unto the Lord. Children, you'll be a child as unto the Lord. And the same could be said for bosses and employees. Out of reverence for Christ, out of reverence for Christ, the Spirit produces this. This is necessary. Now, a reverential awe of God. This is something when you contemplate. When you contemplate this reverential awe of God, who is God? Okay, when we go to the Scriptures, when we're in the Psalms and we're seeing the attributes of God, it's got to cause you to bend your knee a little bit, at least take a sober step and come to a place of humility and reverence for God. This is a work of God that we need to happen. So, brethren, be filled with the Spirit. This can easily be neglected, and I have neglected it. I have neglected it, and I have felt depleted slowly. We must take the time to fill ourselves with God's Word, with the things we looked at. We must be quick to confess and repent and avoid certain things. We must be part of the corporate worship service and be building up one another. These are all aspects of God's being under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You see, it goes back to using your time wisely. Not being foolish. In and of myself, and probably yourself as well, if not under the influence of Christ consistently, in the Spirit of Christ, we will become foolish. We have that propensity. That's why Paul says, be wise. Make the best use of your time, knowing the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but know what the will of the Lord is. So, to be filled with the Spirit is to operate in the Spirit. It is not strange. 
It is not mystical. We looked at experiential realities that will happen in the course of our life. And these are truthful ways. He is the spirit of truth. If you're filled with the spirit, it'll be verifiable. It'll be coherent. And it'll be truthful. And the text did bring out something that we could be under the influence of something else. Now, God will get us to the finish line. You will never lose your salvation. For he who began a good work is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. But in the course of our life, we are prone to wander. So in closing, have you been born of the Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit? may sound very fundamental, but do you have the Holy Spirit? Have you partaken of the new birth, the supernatural birth that has made you alive, that, has taken, that takes a person from spiritual death to spiritual life, a child of wrath to a child of God? Are you a child of God? Have you been declared not guilty in God's eyes for your sin. The wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not just something on a track, not a bumper sticker. The reality of the wage of sin is death. The second death, eternal death, but the free gift of God comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You must be born again. And the gospel is available. The gospel is available. You have a wage. The price. You cannot pay it. If you have not been born again. If you have not been born of the spirit. You must be born again. The price is too expensive for you to pay. Somebody pays for the sin. It's very simple. It's either you or it's Jesus Christ. Have Jesus Christ pay the debt for your sin. You can't make yourself alive. You can't do enough good works. But come today and receive the Holy Spirit if you've not. And for those who are struggling, for those who are struggling with some of the characteristics that we looked at that are not of the Spirit, there's good news, as Pastor George saw this morning. Being in ministry, you might be in a situation that you might find shocking. But God is faithful, so you be faithful. And come speak to us if that's the case. Okay? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord. I pray right now for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I want to be under the influence of your Spirit, Lord, but you know you know how frail we are, Lord. You know, Lord, who we are, Lord. You know, Lord, we came but dust. Oh, but you esteem us so highly as to save us, Lord. To help us, Lord. To cause us to grow in Christ-likeness, Lord. Father God, I want to be under your influence, Lord. I want to function in the power of the Spirit, Lord. Not... Not me, Lord, but you. May we all, may we all, may we all decrease so Christ and the power of the Spirit will increase in us. In Jesus' name, amen.